Hey, I'm Mike Joseph, and thank you for listening to Detoxicity, a show by men, about men, but for everyone. I hope you enjoy the content of this podcast, and I want to let you know about a few things you can do to support us and our mission to challenge traditional notions of masculinity and create a more communicative, positive, and loving environment for all. You can subscribe to Detoxicity on any podcast platform that you use to listen. We are available just about everywhere. Also, don't hesitate to rate and comment as these help us move up in the podcast rankings. I'm on social media, or at least I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok as Detox Pod Guy. Feel free to drop me a follow. Now I have a Patreon page, yay! And uh, Patreon gives you the opportunity to get cool merch and exclusive episodes of this podcast in exchange for subscribing. Go to patreon.com slash detoxicitypod to find out more. Uh, finally, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, whether you found an episode of the podcast particularly enjoyable or enlightening, or you know someone who'd be a great guest, or you'd like to offer constructive criticism, or if you yourself would like to be on the podcast, hit me up. Reach out to me at one of the aforementioned social media channels, or if you're old school like I am, drop me an email, detoxpod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and take care. So as many of you know, the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade a few days ago, which in some states nullifies a woman's right or a childbearing person's right to abort the fetus should they so desire. And I am one of those people that believes in bodily autonomy. I think that if it's your body and uh, you control it, you have the right to decide what you want to do with it. So needless to say, not particularly happy with the Supreme Court right now and uh, not very happy with the way that some states have decided that they want to legislate the bodies of others and also think this is a warning sign for what could happen next. Uh, Justice Thomas laid it out, uh, his plans to potentially do away with uh, same-sex marriage and privacy laws. Anyway, if you are concerned about all of this stuff and if you are listening to this podcast, I assume you are, Please make sure you go to the polls and vote this November, and also please make sure that what you are doing now is supporting in any way possible anything progressive, whether you're donating to uh, abortion funds, donating to Planned Parenthood, whatever it is, now is the time to act, so please make sure you do so. About a year or so ago, I did a group chat, an episode about largely about relationships in light of us allegedly coming out of the pandemic, which a year later we're still not out of, but I included three of my favorite uh, uh, relationship experts, and for this episode I decided to bring them back. So I'll be talking with uh, Dylan Thomas and Ryan Prof Bentham from Life on the Swing Set, as well as author and artist and relationship guru kevin patterson and we'll be talking about a lot of things including still navigating relationships in the midst of pandemic and navigating uh sexy time in between that um how the uh view of relationships has changed in the last year or two how parenting has changed for them in the last year or two as they all have children at various ages of sort of childhood to teenagehood to adulthood and how we are all taking care of ourselves, each other, and those of us who are not as privileged as others of us may be. Uh, as always, it's a great conversation, so I hope you listen to it and enjoy it. It's uh, me, Kevin, Dylan, and Prof. Check it out. As always, I like to start these by having the folks that I'm talking to introduce themselves. So we are going to go in alphabetical order, starting with, with Dylan. 
oh, hey, cool. I appreciate the opportunity to introduce myself. I'm Dylan Thomas. I'm one of the co-hosts of Life on the... I almost said Life on the Podcast. Life on the Swing Set, <laughs> the podcast. I've been podcasting for 11, going on 12 years now, talking about sex relationships. And increasingly over the years, a lot of topics surrounding masculinity and what it means to be a man and have masculine energy and how to interface with everybody else with that. And it's been exciting journey and i am very happy that i get to continue that journey with you so thank you and Thanks, since man. i'm introducing myself you can find me and all my shit at dylanthethomas.com i'm kevin patterson i'm the author of love's not colorblind race and representation in polyamorous and other alternative communities and co-author of the for hire series in case you're into queer polyamorous superhero books i'm known for speaking about race and parenting of masculinity and polyamory i've been teaching classes for years most recently with dr liz powell we have a series of classes called uh unfuck your polyamory and we're also uh working on some more professional grade stuff for people with uh polyamorous clientele because if you ever gone to a therapist and they're not fluent in polyamory or they're not all that well versed in it there's been and, some conflicts uh, Last but certainly not least, Prof. I am Prof, a.k.a. Ryan Bentham, or I guess Ryan Bentham, a.k.a. Prof. I'm not sure how to do that. And I am the least qualified uh, member of today's podcast. I am, I've been affectionately known as the roadie to Life on the Swings at the podcast for years and years and years. Ginger Bentham, of course, is my partner, and she's been part of the podcast since nearly the beginning, I think episode 10. We practice open relationship styles, and I just love the idea of being able to get together with other guys and talk about how the non-monogamous choice intersects with our masculinity and how we show up in the world. So it's very much of my own personal passion and interest. Looking forward to this conversation. Well, thank you all for taking time out of your schedules. So it's been at least a year since the last time the four of us were virtually in a room together talking about this stuff. And a lot, I'm sure, has changed personally with all of you, the same as the way the world is, is different than it was the last time we spoke. What have been some of the significant things that have occurred in the last... I actually don't even remember when it was the last time we spoke. I, th I don't remember if it was last summer or the summer before, or time is a blur. I can tell you that the episode released okay, on... Okay, so it's been almost a year. June 16th, 2021. I'm starting to understand my dad more as a parent, which is interesting. My dad was distant. He didn't really want a whole lot to do with us. He was always home, but he wasn't present, if that makes any sense. And I understand it a little bit bit better because like i'm definitely a more hands-on dad i i still throw my kids around we still wrestle my kids are uh, 11 and 9 uh, my 11 year old is about to turn 12 next month what i realize is that i need downtime i need so much downtime more than i expected to need and like I love taking my kids out. I love getting up and cooking breakfast for them on the weekends, playing yeah. old hits. Before I let go by Frankie Beverly and <laughs> May starts blaring and, and the smell of bacon fills the house. But then after I do that, I got to sit on my couch and pick up my PlayStation controller and it's drift off for the rest of the day. I feel like your kids have probably hit an age where it's not necessarily as important that you be around all the time, but that when you're there, you're there. What I find interesting about each of the three of you is that you're all yeah. parents and you all have kids at different stages in the growing up stage. Like your kids, Kevin, are, you know, kind of hitting like the tween area. 
Dylan, your kid is an older teen, um, about to go into yes. a senior year of high school. Prof, your kids are college kids. They're grown. They're you they're know, damn they're, adults they're, at this yeah, point. Yeah, they're they're full grown <laughs> humans. And I don't know any of your children personally, but based on what I see on social media and based on knowing the three of you as human beings, I feel like y'all are all really damn good parents. But I'm curious as to what those individual stages are. I feel like Kevin, for you, you still have another five or six years before it's like, all right, it's time to go. Yeah, yeah. They haven't rebelled against me completely, but I can feel it building. Like, they don't see me as a guy who's once been young. They see me as just a grown-ass man, which is amazing to me because in my head, I'm still just coming out of high school. I'm still working on graduating college, but to them, they see me as this, you know, grizzled old man who, when I mention the stuff that they're interested in, they're like, oh, God, that's cringe, Dad. Don't ever talk about that so anymore. Dylan, you, you are, your kid is now on the precipice. Yeah, he's, he's 17. And when the pandemic started, it's been going on for two and a half years, and that's a big part of his life. When he entered, I was getting used to the idea of letting go and letting him be more independent and giving him more responsibility. So I have a limited amount of time left where... I'm going to be a person he wants to hang out with in this way, right? Like we can still hang out as people later, but right now he's still my kid and I can still be like, Hey, let's do father and son stuff. But when he gets older, it's going to be less like that. And so I want to enjoy this more. And then we didn't go out and do anything. And because there wasn't a lot of opportunity to do things independently, didn't do much independently. And now that we are, emerging for better for worse from a lot of this and finding ways to make it possible to go out and do things like now it's like oh shit now i really do have to accept that he's 17 and a half and more independent and just in the last week even that's been a bit of a 90 degree turn on this tugboat immediately oh wait i'm carrying a barge on the back so him making plans to go out and me only saying hey just let me know when you'll be back and it's fine as long as you get your shit done I'm happy and really take my my eyes off of the nitty gritty with him and just let him be a person has been a big shift. And honestly, the other big thing that's changed recently is now that he's seeing people, he hasn't dated in the last two and a half years. He had a girlfriend before the pandemic and then they broke up and then the pandemic happened. Yeah. So dating life has just been non-existent and now it's two and a half years later and he's closer to being an adult. And the dating landscape is, number one, not the same as I was when we were young. And not just because it was the 80s and the 90s, but because stuff just recently around sex and responsibility and and women's rights is all fucking up in the air. And so one thing that I had to worry about a reasonable amount when I was younger is, am I going to, oops, become a dad? And there is a non-zero possibility that in the future, he can become an oops, now I'm a dad uh, in a lot more ways than I would have. It's a visible and provable rollback on rights and what society can do. And so he's got to worry about more stuff about the the women that he dates than, than I had to. And so that landscape has changed and gotten worse. And... So I just had a real quick conversation with him and said, hey, we need to have a bigger conversation about this. 
And this is going to come from a place of like, not experience on my part. This is going to come from a place of you've actually got a lot more shit to worry about than I thought you would at this point. And I thought I'd been doing a good job talking to you about this. Turns out I feel very unprepared. And then he started smiling and almost laughing. I'm like, I know, I know. Sucks to have these conversations sometimes. Well, let's just dive into it and make it a regular thing again. And because we had not been talking like that over the last couple of years as a regular thing. Right. I kind of dropped the ball on that because like, well, where's the opportunity to do that? So, yeah. It's going to be interesting to see where any of our kids go as far as pandemic reasons. I mean, like, Prof, your kids are adults. It's, I, assuming that they were adults going into the pandemic, they might not have as much of like a shift. Mm-hmm. But my kids are still in their formative years. And they've lost two and a half to three years worth of of what would have been their childhood, having to do virtual classes, being away from socialization for intermittent amounts of time. It's going to be a long time before we know how much that's impacted them. Like, I'm an adult. I got inconvenienced during the pandemic. I, got, I, mean, I caught COVID, but my life is still basically my life before the yeah. pandemic, just at home. I agree, Kevin. You know, and I believe had a that, you know, to have kids that yet. at each stage of their development are in that crucible. And the pandemic has disrupted that. So my kids were kind of in more of the transition area of from being teenagers to adults and finishing up high school, finishing up their first year of college, et cetera. And one of the things that I reflect upon this past year is how much... I focus on trying to parent my kids through whatever stage they happen to be in at that time. So I feel like I've evolved as a parent at least a dozen times during the last 18, 20 years that I've been a parent. And I feel like that's kind of a theme of what you guys were both sharing as well as how important it is for us to be able to show up for them in whatever they may need at that time and how that changes over time. So I had this really interesting experience. Our younger son had found a partner just before the pandemic started, and they were able to stay together and make their first year at college. He goes to school about 2,000 miles away from us, or 1,500 miles. So it's a long-distance relationship. And when you have a sweetie who you're living away from, how difficult it is at that stage in your life, forming all these new relationships, being away from family, et cetera, et cetera. So that's a very different type of support that he needs than my older son, who also has found himself a partner, but is in college, is kind of grounded in that experience and has a network there of established network of friends, except interestingly, his partner was taking a gap year this year. So they were kind of in the same boat from a different perspective. And just that idea of, again, the kind of support that they need. Our younger son actually came to us and was seeking some support around how to maintain or create an open relationship with his partner, which was really fascinating to think about an 18, 19 year old human with his partner who's of the same age trying to navigate all of those complexities. And we're very open with them. So it's nice to be a resource to them as it relates to that experience. And then our older son, who hasn't expressed any of those desires to us, actually came and shared an experience that he had that was more of a queer-oriented experience. So he's exploring his own sexuality and sharing that with us and navigating that within his primary relationship. And again, very different types of support, but it's fascinating to see 
as they're coming into their adulthoods, how they're both working to navigate these relationships with very strong, powerful women in their lives and be supportive of those partners and still express their own sexuality and be able to have that launching point, I guess, to their adult relationship. So it's really fascinating to me that all of that is coming out of the craziness of the pandemic, the isolation, trying to navigate what it's like to create friend groups as you're masked and all that other kind of stuff. So there is such an uh, amazing amount of transition in uh, uh, young people's lives all the time. And I feel like that has only accelerated for my kids during this time. And I try to show up for them as much as I can. And Kevin, to your point from before, I really respect what you say about needing to also be mindful about how we tend to ourselves in this process. I know in my past, I've tended to devalue the amount of downtime that I need in favor of giving space and experience to other folks. I also know as I've gotten older and been through my own health challenges that I can't do that as much as I used to. I can't pretend that I can just burn the candle at both ends and that that's never going to catch up to me. So when I am giving to others, uh, I as I've been aging, I feel like I'm getting a lot better at giving time to myself as well. That's important. What do you guys do for time for yourself? I don't have kids, so all of my time is to myself. <laughs> That's more a question for the rest of you, I guess. No, but Mike, even without having kids, you have a lot of constraints in your life where right. you need to refuel. Right. And I also very much respect that both on the pod as well as on socials, et cetera, you've been a very upfront about your mental health challenges. So as you're navigating that, how do you find the refreshing time? I still am trying to work that out. I don't know that I've really found that 100% stick. And I also feel like I have a workaholic button that I haven't totally divested myself from yet. Mm. When I'm not doing my day job, it's like, okay, well, then I need to be working on the podcast or editing the podcast or ideating about the podcast and then the radio show. The ability to sit down and chill completely by myself is really not something that I'm good at. I can chill with other people. I can have people over. And even that is working away because then I'm entertaining, but the ability to completely power down and be by myself, I'm not a hundred percent comfortable with. And I'm certainly willing to take advice on things to do to sort of become more comfortable in that area. I know for me, I, 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 my video games have ramped up. I've got a two TV setup in my basement and there was a point in my life where one of these TVs is for what the kids want to watch and one of them is for what I want to watch. But as my kids have gotten older and have their own little portable devices, phones, tablets, what have you, and as hanging out with dad becomes less and less cool, um, it's become like one TV. I've got like whatever documentaries I want to watch, whatever YouTube videos I want to watch, and I'm playing video games on the big screen. And... That's just me drifting away, and I could do that for, for hours. And then I have to remind myself, like, let me make sure that I'm pausing. Let me make sure I'm checking in on the kids, checking in on myself, checking in on whether I've had anything to eat. But if I've got the time, that could just be me all day. At the beginning of the year, there's a website that you could go to where you click on it, you put in your PSN, your username, and it tells you how much time you spent playing some of the games in your collection. <laughs> and it said that I had spent like a thousand hours playing Destiny. 
last year. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't remember playing Destiny for a thousand hours. Maybe there were times when my console was on and I wasn't actively there, but I know that I've been using that both as self-care time and as bro time because one of my best friends that I, that I went to college with, he's on there. So is the game the most interesting game ever? Not terribly, but that gives me time where I can hang out with my college friends and just so that we can run around shooting guns and talking about where we are with our lives. I'll take it. We haven't been in physical proximity since yeah. college. So yeah. this is our uh, grown man play date time. Same, actually. And Kevin, we should talk and see if we got any games in common or game styles in common. Because so my son and I and my wife, all three of us have been gaming heavily. I actually gave up games before the pandemic because I was playing roller derby. And because I was doing the podcast and because, well, when you're an EVE Online player, there's very little in the middle. Oh, let me play a reasonable amount. It's you either don't play and you don't care or you play because yeah, if you don't no. play, you lose your shit. So I gave it up and I had gone stone cold off games for like eight years and I picked it up again. And now all of a sudden I actually just opened my Steam up because I wanted to see how many hours I've played Risk of Rain 2. Let's see, 451 hours. Played Deep Rock Galactic, 99 hours. Elden Ring, I just got into it, three and a half hours. A Civ Six got 142 hours. So I've got a lot of hours in over the last year or so. That kind of surprised me. I don't play Elden Ring, but everything I've heard about Elden Ring tells me that that number's going to go from three to like yeah, 300 I, I never a Dark in a couple game, of weeks. My first so prepare it, yourself. I'll let you all know how that goes. But that has been a big part of my downtime. And it's been nice to, to be able to... I, I don't know if your wife games at all or games the same way you do but i've been able to spend a lot of that doing that with tonya and that's been really really nice it counts as downtime and it counts as time with her and that's that's cool so yeah it's funny because when the pandemic hit everybody was scrambling to find a way to cope and i appreciate that everyone had a side hustle which amazing like my co-author on the, the for hire books she started a virtual karaoke group and a bunch of people had book, virtual book clubs and this and that party nights i hadn't heard about huh. like i suggested Wait, virtual can, orgies what, what i don't know if orgy? any of those actually came to fruition <laughs> uh, i actually thought about that i thought it would be less awkward <laughs> for that to be an audio only thing <laughs> And so you get like eight people on a line enjoying time and making yeah. themselves and and see where that goes. But yeah, that seemed interesting. See? Yeah. And Andre Shakti started a virtual strip club that was going for, for several months. And for me, it just became video games. Because every time I tried to join somebody's Zoom happy hour, I always felt really uncomfortable after a few minutes. So I just show up, say a couple of things, show my face and be out. But video games gave me a space. And then they put out a, a, a remastered edition of the Mass Effect trilogy. I'm very much an, underneath this Mass Effect sweatshirt is a Mass Effect t-shirt. And underneath this Mass Effect t-shirt is, is, is a Mass Effect tattoo. Is that what you and then underneath there is a Mass Effect heart. And Nice. <laughs> yeah, I got an N7 right here on my chest. And so when that came out, a partner and I, we actually played through the whole trilogy oh. together. And it felt like introducing them to a bunch of my old friends. And that's sort of how we wow. spent our quality time for, for several so, months. With that said, we are now in a place where obviously the pandemic has not gone away, but people, we are learning to live with COVID as opposed to 
where we were a year or two years ago. Have any of you had any reticence about going back into the world or redoing the things that you did in 2019 or early 2020 or getting back into the community as it were, whether it's your friend group or any other groups that you're part of? Have you jumped in with both feet or are you just kind of like, eh, I'm not ready yet? I mean, personally for Ginger and I, we didn't go to Desire last year. So we skipped the, you know, Swing Set Takes Desire trip in November for that reason, particularly. And so that was a huge change, Mike, being there, holding down the party for us. So thanks for doing that. But I think that the big factor for us, me particularly with my health history, was being out of the country and having a risk of not getting back into the country at that particular point in time with what was happening. And I feel like that's really been a huge part of the challenge and what I've been trying to do relative to coming through, as you said, the normalization of the pandemic experience of what's going on at this particular point in time and a decision around how I might want to be social given the environmental factors. Nothing is going to be like it was in 2019 but it's always contextual with whatever the variants are going on and who in that particular crowd is vaccinated and who's not, et cetera. So I would say that I feel like the decision-making has just become more complex, but we have not taken any kind of like blanket. We're not being social anymore. So after skipping the Swing Set Takes Desire trip in November, we did decide to host a New Year's Eve party with some select friends. and. One of them on the show here made it. So we were very happy to host Dylan the Thomas and others at our place out here. And it was one of those experiences where it was kind of like iffy at the time. And there was some increased transmissions. We all took tests and all that kind of jazz. And thankfully, it all went off without anybody having any infections as a result of it. So it's been a little bit of a mixed bag for us, Mike, as it relates to Sometimes just choosing, you know, this doesn't feel right for us for a variety of reasons. And other times saying, we may have some reservations. We don't want to ever host a thing that becomes uh, a super spreader event for COVID, but we're also not going to just stop living our life and seeing our friends. That math actually has changed in the last couple of weeks. So in the last two months, people very, very close to me and us have gotten COVID, including my mom and my girlfriend, and like five friends in our friend group. And this has been the friend group that we had been previously comfortable getting together with. I've attended three play parties. They were all play parties that were constructed very thoughtfully ahead of time with how people would talk to each other, inform each other, testing, all that stuff. And we talked about that first play party where everybody was awkward because it had been a whole year and stuff like that, which was hilarious. But that was in the before time when we thought vaccines made you Mm -hmm. invincible. The crystallizing four months where everything felt normal again. That was great. And since then, I have felt a lot of things, including like really nasty feelings of betrayal or blame or other things towards those people. Because like I've seen, uh, and I'll give you an example, and I'm mad at myself for feeling this. And I feel like this is understandable, but irrational because I don't want to feel this way. But I've had two people very close to me that have been able to go out as a couple and go to concerts and events and stuff like that within the last you know month or so. 
And they both got COVID in proximity to each other, but independently. And they had both seen common friends of ours in which there were theoretical exposures between us. Right, The timing worked out to where we weren't really worried about us, but they gave it to other people in the group. And they had been the one group that we were comfortable seeing because we would all kind of take a similar amount of risk calculation into the mix and do this thing. And then all of a sudden we've discovered that theirs has changed and they no longer feel safe for us to hang out with anymore. So Tonya and I are in this period of retraction now where we realize that it's relatively safe for us to be out, even if we get COVID because we're vaccinated and careful and all that stuff. But it doesn't mean we want to go out and be cavalier and get it and risk giving it to other people and all the other COVID shit. We could talk about this forever. And so I'm going to shut myself up and just say, we feel unsafe around people that we love a lot again. And we are pulling back. And and I fucking hate that. And I don't know how that's going to turn out, but I know that it's resulting in a lot of ugly feelings for me. And I'm trying real hard to take a few breaths before I respond to anything. It's good that I'm not on Facebook almost ever because... I might have started a few fights by now if that had been that. And I would have regretted a lot of that. So, like, not great. But also, like, okay, nobody has, that we know of, has died since all this has been going on over the last couple months, including my mom. So it's at least a saving grace there that we can kind of say thank you for that. But that's kind of where I am right now with all that. I'm angry at being angry, damn it. <laughs> I feel that. All right, so well, b- backtracking a bunch. Oh, when wow. we were in Toronto for Playground, that was 2018. I-, I was going through a breakup. And if you had gone to our masculinity and polyamory workshop, that workshop was magic because me and Chris Smith and Bex, we were all going through breakups and we spent the whole car ride going over it, over it and over it. Like... I, I was going through a breakup. They were going through breakups that they didn't know they were about to have. But in the aftermath of my breakup, I learned exactly how abusive and manipulative it had been, which was something I wasn't aware of while it was happening. And so I was sort of all over the place for, for like, a, for a couple of years. And leading into 2020, I, I said, I need to settle down. I've got a couple of partners who make me feel a certain way. I need to focus my energies on these partners because these are the people who are saving me right now. And that's not to say I'm getting rid of anybody. That's not to say that I'm not still pretty slutty, but basically anyone in my life that's not making me feel this certain way, this really positive way, I've got to sort of deprioritize. And I told myself that going into 2020, because a few things happened at the end of 2019 and at the very start of 2020 that sort of really broke it for me exactly how abusive my relationship had been and why it fucked me up the way that it had. And so I made those decisions and then the pandemic hits. So all of a sudden it's like, well, these partners who I had been planning on prioritizing, well, I guess I got a quarantine bubble. And I focused all of my energy on those particular people. And it's been great. The pandemic 
was a win for me. And I had to have a lot of hard conversations with myself as to how to reconcile that where like I'm not going anywhere but I'm selling books and I'm teaching classes I'm not overextending myself I'm not burning myself out the way I had been for the last couple of years so the world is burning but I'm doing okay and I had to have a lot of hard conversations with myself about that I had to reconcile the fact that like I'm not out here hurting anybody I'm not profiting off of misery. I'm just putting good into the world in a way that still works while the world is burning. And so as a result of that, I got really comfortable and I'm still in that place. I'm in a really settled place. I still have some casual things that I got going on. I'm still promiscuous that hasn't changed, but I've got this core four that that I've been putting all my energy into and I'm good there. So when things started opening back up and I started getting emails saying like, hey, such and such conferences is accepting submissions to teach this and to teach that. I'm like, I don't know that I'm ready yet, but I don't know that I want to be ready yet. Like Southwest Love Fest recently happened and I would have loved to be in Tucson. But I was also really comfortable just playing video games in my underwear with a partner's feet in my lap. That's as good as going to Atlanta for Mm -hmm. Sex Down South. I'd love to be at Sex Down Mm -hmm. South. And also, I'd love to just be home. So I got really comfortable because I was able to make a lot of good situations happen in the middle of a, a worldwide bad situation. And I'm not exactly ready to jump back yeah, I in don't because I can very much relate to that. And I think I shared even on our last pod around <laughs> that idea of feeling weird. I think you just said it beautifully, Kevin, in terms of the world is burning and I'm in my bubble and I've got the privilege to be able to work from home and to not be out and about in the world. I'm not an essential worker in that way. And I used it as a time to really go deep internally. And I am with you. I'm not rushing that away. There are trade-offs relative to being social. It's amazing to meet people. It's amazing to interact with folks. It's really amazing when all of those pieces line up and you get to have sex with them as well. And at the same time, sitting in our underwear, playing video games with a partner and a lovey can be just as fulfilling. And I've learned that as well, I think, particularly over the past year in terms of like just really grooving that around feeling that the time that I have set aside for myself to invest in myself is not something that I want to give up just because the pandemic restrictions may be changing. Right. I'm listening to what all of you are saying, and I'm completely in my head right now because I have definitely had reservations about jumping back into the fray. And over the last couple of months, spring is here and and the weather is warm and people want to be out. Oh, well, I have this show coming up. I have this wedding coming up. I have this other thing coming up. Like I'm supposed to go to a wedding this coming weekend and actually right on the precipice of changing my mind about going because it's a destination wedding. I won't know anybody, but two people there. And I'm worried that if I get COVID there, I'm going to spend my birthday at home with COVID. And also I'm like, okay, am I going to want to be at this event with these people who I largely don't know? Or would I rather as Kevin and Prof have both said, would I rather be sitting in my underwear, not playing video games, but listening to records or watching basketball or something like that. And to be honest, it's not even a toss up. I would rather be sitting in my underwear at home playing or watching basketball or listening to music. No disrespect to the person getting married. I think he's a good guy, but 
just when you add all those things together, I think it's really important to center, to listen to yourself and center that where I often run into trouble is there's still a large part of me, as much as I try to cultivate this image of somebody who doesn't give a fuck, there's still a part of me that's very much a people pleaser and I don't like disappointing people. So I have to wrestle with that. But in a lot of situations where people are like, oh, Mike, let's go do this. I want to go do that. I'm like, eh, no, maybe not. Like you've been in that place before where you went to a thing that you wasn't really sure about being there. And then you spent several hours being like, uh, why did I do this? Do you want to do that for a whole weekend at a destination (laughs) wedding? Like, not really. And the worst part about it is that you're a people pleaser. And a lot of it is masculinity. So it's socialized masculinity in terms of being people pleasing and wanting to help and wanting to do more and all of that extra stuff. You have to remember, you're not doing anything wrong to stay home. You're not hurting anybody. You're not doing anything wrong. I had to tell myself that a a lot of times where there were times where I felt bad because I was doing okay in the pandemic. And I'm like, I'm not doing anything wrong here. I'm not exploiting anybody. I'm not hurting anybody. I want to be able to teach this class without going anywhere. I want to be able to sell these books from my house and then curl up on the couch with a joy friend and and a PlayStation controller. I'm doing fine here. We're... I don't need to I, agonize I over have this a hard one. time, like just understanding as a, at a fundamental level, people that actually want to go out and expend all their energy out doing random things right now. And it's real weird. Cause I used to feel like the consummate extrovert and I, I miss having the bottomless well of energy that came from getting to the event and then feeding off of everybody's energy and then just amping up and amping up and amping up because that's how I functioned. And that's not how I function right now. I don't know if I'm ever going to be back there because now it's get there, spend everything that I've got to amp up and meet, and meet the level and then expend and expend and expend until I'm out. And then if I'm out, start borrowing from the next day or two of whatever I've got. And then I pay for it over the next couple of days. But other people don't give me energy anymore because whether they don't feel totally safe or whether I'm just different or whatever it is, I I have that problem now. I can't go out and do five things on a weekend or see 10 groups of people on a weekend. I can do one thing on a weekend and not pay for it the next day. And I don't like feeling that way. And I much respect Kevin for continuing your slutty lifestyle (laughs) because fuck man, Buck, Prof, as, as a person who was able to go to Desire this year, I proved to myself that at my core, at my heart, I am still the slut that I want to be. I put out the slutty energy that I want to see in the world, and I fucking love that. I definitely still have that in me, and I loved it, and, and I really spent a lot of great time with people, but I have not been that person. And yeah, sex just in general intimacy in general seems to have changed what i consider intimacy has changed and i like it and am comfortable with it but at the same time i feel like i should want actual penetrative sex more and it makes me wonder if i turned 41 a few days ago congratulations and and i i 
Yeah, thank you. And uh, my son wished me a happy 65th birthday, which I thought might be funny. Yeah, uh, and, and then you great. were like, I'm going to throw your ass out the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the second you turn 18, you're going, right. motherfucker. Uh, I, I have no problem with actually getting older, but the fact that I'm not prioritizing that or I feel like I have to build up to that is really bothering me as maybe as a man. I don't know. Am I lesser because I'm not constantly dogging my wife and wanting that? Is not being a hornball? I don't know. I liked the fact that I was like always ready to go and turned on and my wife doesn't turn me on anymore because that is definitely not the case. Uh, if anything, that has not changed if not gotten amped up more. But like my desire for actually getting down with anybody it, it feels like it's deprioritized it hasn't gone down as in like i don't want to but if i want to choose where to spend my energy that feels like a lot of energy to spend right and i i don't think the deprioritization of of sexual contact is necessarily an aging thing i think it's just a matter of priorities changing. And that can happen when you're 25. It can happen when you're 75. For me, I spent a lot of my early 20s wanting to stick my dick in everything. And I, probably most of my 30s too. At some point, I mean, I guess the first part is that for medical reasons, unfortunately, I got to a point where I couldn't stick my dick in everything because sometimes it didn't work. So that was a, an, an interesting thing to sort of figure out. But I think that also helped me figure out that I wasn't really attracted to the sticking things in part of it. I was attracted to the connection part of it. And it became about quality and not quantity. And even now, I'm like, I live in New York City where it is very, very easy still for a man that is interested in men to have sex. Like as a five on a 10 scale, I could walk out into New York City right now and within an hour be getting my dick sucked. Come on, you're not a five, Mike. You just call yourself Seriously. a five out of ten. As an Come average on, looking human being. Come on, fam. Selling himself. Why are we way doing this? Short. Come yeah. on. That's not even. You're not even, yeah, you're not even being modest. I have no you're being, idea how many people calling me out. People that firsthand are like, God damn, it's a beautiful fucking man. I, I don't like, feel that at all. The point that I'm trying to make, though, and thank you all, the point that I'm trying to make is just that prioritizing quality, and even going back to desire, it wasn't about conquest for me, it was about connection. And again, for some people, there's a point where it changed, where that carnal desire kind of changes into a more connection-related desire. Mm -hmm. And for me, there were emotional reasons and physical reasons why that happened. But I don't necessarily think it's a sign of getting older. I think it's more just being in touch with yourself and realizing what it is that you want. Mm -hmm. What's important to you. Yeah, and I really yeah. relate to that, Mike. I feel like I can connect both that topic as well as the yeah. prior one that we were talking about around pandemic energy and being social in the way where creating connection with others beyond the penetration aspect takes energy. It takes resources. It takes time and commitment. And what I've realized in myself, particularly over the last year, is I don't have the 
energy, interest, or wherewithal right now to be deeply investing in creating connection with somebody else. And so the intimacy and kind of the sticking my dick in something is easy for me to set off to the sideline because it's more important for me to have that level of connection and to know that I'm not in a place when I can invest that energy in that connection. I can just put this other piece off to the sideline. Now, again, I have a tremendous amount of privilege because Ginger fucking Bentham sleeps next to me every night. So that's not a, a bad mm. situation to be in. So Word. that I, I feel like connects the dots for me, you know, between the pandemic bubble, kind of preserving my own energy and how much interest I may have in terms of going out and fostering that connection. I have one Insta crush right now that's on my radar screen. I just observe them from afar at this point. <laughs> Is there going to be a change in the afar portion of it? I think that there may be. We were just waiting for the right time, the the proper time to make a connection. All right. We have a lot of mutual friends for sure. See, piggybacking off of what Prof said, that's exactly where I am now, where for me to say like, hey, I'm still slutty, the people that I'm slutty with have to be really checked in on that part because I don't want to tell somebody like, hey, I've got time and I've got energy when I don't. I don't want to lead somebody into thinking that I've got more bandwidth than I do. So somebody has to be really checked in on the part where I'm like, hey, if you want to just fool around, if you want to be friends who roll around a bit, cool, but I don't really have a lot of energy for much more than that. And if somebody's not checked in on that, cool, no harm, no foul. But that's all I've got at this point outside of this core four who I'm putting like all of my emotional energy in. And some people aren't interested in that. Some people are. And and, and, and if that's the case, then right. cool, let's hang out. Let's have a drink. Let's roll around a bit. But I don't want to seek out any new connections because seeking out new connections feels like more bandwidth than I'm willing to put in. It's got to be people who I already know, already have mm -hmm. some history with, already have some flirtatious yeah, really banter cool. with. I, that. No, I, yeah, I've got somebody yeah. that is also on my radar and there's somebody that I've been intensely attracted to for a long time. And yet I also really, really like interested in having a relationship with them. And I haven't pursued it because I don't want the battle in my own head of being cool with just that the more casual intimacy, even though it isn't casual intimacy, because I feel like I want more and then I'll ask myself for more than I have. So it's not even about them. It like, if it was, it was, if it was about like them not wanting to commit more and me being just okay with having sex, I'm game, but it's about wanting more, but also be okay just having sex and me not sure if I'm okay just having sex. And that feels really weird. And I can just be okay with the level that I've got and the intimacy that I have because I feel like I would be making a mistake by jumping in unless I was more available myself. So at least I know myself a little bit more or enough right now to not make a stupid mistake because I feel like I don't have a lot of resources. I'm a energetic guy and I know my energy level and I know what it feels like to have to, to lack energy. And when I lack energy, then I'm not giving anybody that I care about energy and including my family. And I want to be available. So I don't want to be with somebody else when that's going to cause me to not be available for the people that I love. And I'm hoping that I can find a path to getting to a point where I've got that energy again. I, I want to have energy for a lot of people in my life. I really do. And I don't. So 
we all have boundaries or we all have limits, right? Bandwidth is a word that gets used a lot. And I, I appreciate and respect people who have the consciousness to realize exactly what their bandwidth is. But then by the same token, I'm like, do we all really know exactly what our bandwidth is? And I also, thinking about what all of you gentlemen have said recently, I, I wonder how easy it is to kind of get that, oh, this fascinating new thing has come up, whether it's someone who's interested in me or whatever it is. It's so hard to not want to jump in and to step back and assess the situation be like, okay, these are the pluses if I jump in, these are the minuses if I engage. Can you have all of that conscious thought before the other party is just like, go, go, go? I, I think it's a challenge, Mike. I definitely think that it is the instinct, the initial reaction that we have may be different than the response that we want to have. And this is a Viktor Frankl concept of separating our reaction from a response. Dylan gave great voice to a process for doing that relative to the cultivation of the relationship. I also think back to one of the things Kev said earlier around playground. I was also in a relationship at the time that was blowing up and I didn't necessarily know it and feel in retrospect that combined with the pandemic, why I feel reluctant to move into another relationship because I was being gaslit, Ginger was as well, and I was showing up to that relationship with a full, pure heart, and that was not being received, and I was missing those signals. And so I went back into the protective mechanism of, I know what works for me and how to relate to myself. I don't necessarily blame myself for that blow up of the relationship, although there were a lot of red flags that I could have seen coming, which I didn't. But that idea of having the separation between how we are initially responding or reacting and then how we ultimately want to respond, I think is helpful. And even in this conversation, thinking about what it could look like for me to start to invest in a new relationship, uh, I feel more responsive in that way where maybe I do have more capacity and maybe I've just become accustomed to keeping my life super simple. And I like that I have an affinity towards living that way in terms of not having a whole lot of extra partners that I feel like I need to be cultivating or protect myself against is ultimately what I'm trying to make sure doesn't happen. And where I go with that, I don't know, but I feel like that, you know, kind of stimulus that this conversation has created for me gives me a lot of fodder to kind of think about, okay, what is next? And what do I intentionally truly want to have happen in my life? And how might that look from a practical perspective, from an energetic perspective, from a time perspective, like all of those domains and really be intentional around what I might want to be creating as opposed to kind of falling into a situation. And then Dylan, to your point, realizing that I just don't have this in me to to give. What you were saying about whether or not you could sort of slow yourself down from trying to get together with somebody before you realize you don't have the energy for it. 
the pandemic made that easy. The pandemic meant that I didn't have to go to somebody's happy hour. I didn't have to go to somebody's potluck because if I'm in the room with somebody and, and they're cute and I can see that they're attracted mm-hmm. to me and I'm attracted to them, next thing it's like, hey, what are you doing later? Maybe we could do something sometime, something to that effect. And now because we're so isolated and so separate, I don't feel the urge to reach out to somebody that I don't have a pre-established connection to. Now, like, they're... There are several people that I see comment on on Facebook. I I comment on their stuff or they comment on my stuff where I realize, had we had more time together, even if it was just like at an event, at a get together, this could have gone any number of ways. But because we don't have that time, Mm. there's somebody that I would have talked to. There's somebody that I would have flirted with. And and I'm good with them staying Makes in that sense. box for right now. I want to be conscious of time. There was one question that I really wanted to ask. We've alluded to the world being a trash fire at the moment. And we all come from different levels of privilege, whether race uh, privilege or sexuality privilege or masculine privilege, which I think the four of us all benefit from in one way or another. And we're in a stage right now where there's so much under attack, whether it be women's rights, particularly those of poor women and women of color whether it be our, our trans friends and family, our non-binary friends and family, our, our black friends and family, our black selves, our Latinx selves, our queer selves. So I guess my question is, is twofold here. One is how do we protect ourselves in the midst of all that's going on? And the second part is how do we show up for others in the midst of all that's going on? I still try to put money in in a lot of places where I can. It was something that became a part of my work. In my race and polyamory workshops talking about how you could put your money in places to help to forward people's initiatives. And that just became part of my thing. I'd get a paycheck. I'd put some money into this cause or that cause. I still do that where I can, not as reliably as when I was constantly out and about selling books and so on. But I work with that. And in protecting myself, I don't always feel like I need that. And I know that's a privilege. That's a privilege that I have. I don't seek protection for myself, even if I need it. But I try to put it out there into the world for others who do. Before the rest of you answer, how important is it for you as, particularly as you're sort of exploring your queerness and you are not a stereotypically queer presenting person how important is it to push that identity to forward with that i foreground that identity because for me as someone who is queer and does not immediately present as stereotypically queer i almost want to be queerer or foreground my queerness a little bit more just so there's a separation you might think you're experiencing one kind of dude, but I want you to know what kind of dude you're really experiencing in this moment. I'm still working on that, honestly. A couple of years in the pandemic sort of cuts that out because of my the lack of opportunities. I don't know exactly what kind of queer guy I'm trying to be or how much that matters to me. I've had 43 years of, of being Black to shape who I am as a Black man in America. I've got three or four years and a handful of hookups to shape who I want to be as a queer person. I still feel like an imposter in queer spaces. Which, <laughs> according to everyone I talk to, that's the queerest possible thing to say. So I'm still trying to figure out what that looks like for me. But I know the idea of not looking like a stereotype while being very clear that I am this person 
I know that's important to me and I know that's going to factor in once I figure out exactly what this identity is to me. And, uh, I've, um, yeah. over the last maybe ten, five years specifically, but 10 years or so, have been a lot more conscious as presenting as a very clear Latinx dude. Even though I just left my job, I made it very clear real fast, right before the pandemic started, and then especially when the uprising started started getting a lot of attention that I was not going to be the quiet guy at work about this stuff. And it surprised a lot of people because a lot of people never considered that I wasn't white. And it helped me start a lot of conversations, but it also made me the point of questions and conversations. And I opted into that, right? Like, okay, I can take this. I'll do that. And it made me realize that as long as I have that energy, that's what I need to do when I enter a room, whether it be a, a more political room or a room where there's going to be a lot of social discussion or whatever, especially in the absence of other brown and black folk. I've got to be that person because I have the capability to accept with a little bit of grace the awkwardness and inexperience and or prejudices of other people and and speak to that. And while it's been something that I've done over the years, it's not something I put a lot of focus on until more recently. If, if anything else, I'm more confident in being straight even though I have a lot of attraction that a lot of people over the years have told me is not straight attraction. What does that mean? It, it, because, okay, I don't like dudes. I don't like masculine. I, I'm not attracted to masculine folk and dudes, but almost everybody else is, I, I, I have a chance of being attracted to. So when somebody sees that I'm married and w with my wife, who's very femi and stuff, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, you're a straight dude. But when I'm out and about with a queer person, it may present a lot like a queer relationship. I'm still a straight dude in that relationship. And it's not like I'm making an exception for that relationship. It's just, this is somebody that I'm interested in, I care about, and I I enjoy being with, and that's okay. I don't feel like I need to explain it anymore. I don't feel like I need to make excuses or exceptions for it. It's just like, no, I'm with this person. But you're not? No, it's cool. And luckily, in the last couple of years, I haven't had to have a lot of conversation with that because ah, I haven't been out that much. Right. But but it's still something that I'm kind of conscious of. I got to be real humble when I'm with or in queer spaces with people. Very, very conscious and humble. But I mean, queerness I is not a be... contest. Yeah, some right, people, right. Some like, people act like it is, but it's not. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I... I, I I, but I'm also confident in it because I know that when something comes up, it's I don't take it as a me thing. I can mm. just be me and like understand the context around it and what, why people may feel a certain way about straight folk or, or stuff like that and be okay with it. Now, my wife takes a lot more of that stuff to heart on my behalf, and I'm like, it's okay. Because she also feels very inadequate around queer spaces as a, as a bi woman who looks very heteronormative and very femi. But I've definitely focused on the Latinx part of self-identification and presentation around people. But fundamentally, I still care a lot about the safety of my friends and family a lot more than myself. And for whatever reason that is. Is that you know, a dude that's, thing? That's what it is. 
it feels kind of like a dude thing. It feels like that's how that's how my dad was. He was always caring and doing about <laughs> back back to the original topic that you were talking about, yep. Kevin. Understand a lot more about your dad. I understand how much of the way I operate around a lot of other people feels like I understand my dad more. He did a lot of loving through deeds and not words. And I feel like I, I do a lot of loving through deeds and words and intimacy and, and, and all of that stuff. That's the component with my son that my dad didn't really have with me. He didn't express love for me that much, even though I knew it was there. But I do still hug my son and we still get on the couch and cuddle together while watching a movie and, and we're good. And it feels nice to still be able to be that close with him and have it just be also known that I'm around and I understand why my dad very often sacrificed his own happiness and comfort for other people, even when he didn't have to. And why I make the choice to still care about myself and still care for other people because the better I care for myself, the better I can care for other people. And I've demonstrated that both in the, I'm going to suffer silently and try to care for other people and see where that doesn't work and care for myself and try to care for other people. And I still have the tendency to suffer silently. I really do. And when I let that happen, I feel super isolated and I start feeling like there aren't people out there that care for me because nobody comes to me, right? Like how is anybody going to know I need something unless I ask for it? If I suffer silently, nobody's going to know. And then I'm not going to get that feedback. And then I'm going to feel alone. And that's fucking stupid. And yet I was raised that way. And that's how my dad was raised. Right. I'm borrowing from Kevin Patterson here. Here's my real talk moment for you, Dylan. When you isolate, you don't let people take, you don't let people who want to take care of you, take care of you. I've seen this firsthand when you've been like, I'm in a bad place. And I'm like, yo, what's up? And then I don't hear anything for two weeks. Shit. (laughs) Yeah, And I'm like, look, I'm in this place. You're in this place. I can't reach out and knock on your door and be like, yo, Dylan, what's up? Mm-hmm. So I have to kind of take it. But at the same time, I'm like, all right, you're expressing to me that you need somebody, but somebody's reaching out to you and you're vanishing. And it puts me in a place where I'm like, okay, well now what the fuck can I do? But there are people that care about you. You got to open yourself up to that. Thank you. And everything you said is right. <laughs> Just- I, I feel like for me, it's been a time to really start by reflecting upon my own privilege and acknowledging that and giving voice to that. So I feel like that is where I need to start always. And I have learned that over and over again. And particularly within the last year, I would say it's really driven home to me to give voice to that. The second thing that I'm really working hard to do, Mike, to your original question is make sure that other voices have space. And I don't need to be the first person to speak. I don't need to speak at all. I love elevating other voices and particularly the voices of folks that have been affected by what's going on in the world and being able to share their experience. When I am an ally and I'm an ally when I can be, I try to give voice to that. And I tried to not just give voice to those folks, but to also other folks that may be in my orbit that may not be as aware of what is happening. And so really trying to show up, and I feel like that's kind of in in many ways, Mike, what you were asking around your queerness in terms of putting it into the foreground of how deep do I let folks see into who I am? And if I am protecting that, 
because I'm afraid of losing some kind of benefit. Like they're going to think less of me because I think queer people are awesome. Or I think women absolutely have domain over their bodies and should be able to, you know, access medical care in whatever way they want to access it. Then I'm holding on to that to try to retain some benefit, mostly imaginary benefit. And that may make me feel more secure or stronger, but it's really more, it's diminishing overall. So I've been trying to let that go and not be protective around being advocate, advocating. And I work in more of a corporate business environment regularly. So one very, very small, very small thing. This is not a big deal. I'm not making myself into a hero at all, but I put my pronouns into my signature and actually had my boss ask like, what even is that? Because he, he's an old white dude. He's not tuned in at that level. And to even have a small conversation like that with a you know 65 year old white dude around what it means to use somebody's pronoun as it relates to how they think of themselves and how that allows them to be seen and heard in a different way than, you know, if you're using your own trope of what pronoun you think fits somebody else. So small things like that can create bigger impacts. And again, I'm not sitting here in this place of privilege saying that I'm changing the world by putting a pronoun or my pronouns in my email signature in a business environment, but there's a risk associated with that as it relates to you know, who are you and why are you doing this weird fucking thing in a business world? Because these things don't belong in a business world. I'm like, absolutely it does. That's where we spend the majority of our life. And to say that somehow we need to create this bubble Mm -hmm. around the business environment is essentially just saying that we need to keep things the way that they've always been. Because why, you know, would we want to disrupt the great American capitalism? There's a lot of power in, in being able to do that. And yeah, I had a lot of discussions with a lot of older people that didn't know anyone queer. <laughs> they, they knew queers as a concept, if, if that makes sense. And yeah, like uh, that, sometimes that's like the best way you can, you can do that. Have those conversations with people off to the side so that other people don't have to. And it, it means the next conversation they have will be a little bit better. And when they actually do end up interfacing with someone, it's going to go a little bit smoother and it makes a difference. And now that I'm not in the business environment anymore, I get to do that with local politics and stuff. Like being an election judge, for example, is one way that I've been able to volunteer in in government, which is really weird because like one of the first things you're supposed to do is you got to attest to agreeing to be the election judge and, and all that stuff. And then they say... Thank you for serving your country. It didn't even occur to me that I was serving like the country, right? I don't care about serving the United States or supporting the government. I care about the local community. And one of the ways that I can significantly support my local community is making people for people that want to vote to vote, period, because that's also under attack. And it has been an interesting opportunity to have talks with other election judges with actual republicans and and i'll be honest mike i think i could hear you putting your hand over your mouth uh, but having conversations with actual republicans has been an opportunity i don't know if i want to call it an opportunity let's just say it's been something that i wouldn't be doing otherwise because i don't have any interest in people that are willing to be voting republicans at the moment but it, I, that's a position where i don't have a choice and then, of course, when you're actually doing that judging stuff, it's like, well, now you have to make yourself available and learn to have that sometimes self-control or people management or whatever it is. So it's like you you keep talking that talk and you do it. It makes it makes a difference. 
So, like, yeah, it's a good way to use it. One thing that continually amazes me about the conversations that are taking place on this podcast is how applicable they can be to any period in time. Uh, Pandemic aside, I think that all of the things that we talk about are relatable, no matter what your relationship style is, no matter what your sexual orientation is, no matter what your gender is in a lot of cases, even though this podcast is geared towards talking about masculinity. I want to thank Kevin and Dylan and Prof for taking the time to talk. Uh, You can find Kevin on Twitter at Poly Role Models. Uh, you can find Dylan at Dylan the Thomas. And I don't think Prof is on Twitter anymore. There is uh, Intel Foreplay, which is uh, uh, Prof and uh, his lovely partner, Ginger. But there used to be, I think, a Prof alone Twitter, and I don't see it. Uh, if I missed it, forgive me. I'll make up for it in a later episode when we talk one-on-one. But uh, in the meantime, that's where you can find those awesome gentlemen, and I hope you do follow them. Thank you for listening to Detoxicity. I hope you found this particular episode interesting. And if you are new, I hope you go back and listen to all of the older episodes. Uh, Once again, my name is Mike Joseph. I am the host and producer of this show. And uh, there are a lot of things that you can do to continue to support our mission, continue to support this podcast. Uh, Follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, Twitter, and I'm on TikTok as DetoxPodGuy. Uh, You can also send me an email if you'd like. I'm at detoxpod at gmail.com. I am always on the hunt for people with interesting, inspirational, and powerful stories. So if you know somebody who fits that bill or if you yourself fit that bill, please don't hesitate to drop me a line via email or via social media. Uh, Please make sure you subscribe on your podcast platform that you're listening to this on. Uh, Rate, comment, help a brother out. Uh, Help us move up in the rankings. Uh, Follow me on social media. Like I said, Follow our Patreon, or subscribe to my Patreon, actually. Patreon.com slash DetoxicityPod. You get access to exclusive episodes. You get episodes a little earlier than the general public. You get a cool-ass sticker. Lots of stuff. Once again, Patreon.com slash DetoxicityPod. Quick shout-out to Calvin Williams for providing the music and uh, doing his magic on the logo, which was originally designed by Jacob Block. I thank you all for listening. I wish you all the best. Please take care of each other. Till next time, peace.